the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Wednesday afternoon. Normally joined by my co-host Aubrey Sampson, but Aubrey is out for the rest of the week, which means sliding into her chair is our friend, Steve Coble. Steve is the pastor of Teaching Discipleship and Spiritual Formation at Renewal Church of Chicago. Steve, man, it is great to have you back. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Great to great to be back with you guys. And uh, I'm sleeping through the night with a five-month-old, so I have lots to be happy about. That is true. So Steve's going to be with us the rest of the week. Today, Thursday, Friday, excited to catch up on life. But let's start there, man. People probably remember you were with me a couple, you know, a month or two ago. Uh, and at that point, you had a, a newborn who was you you were uh, everything was upside down trying to figure out sleep schedules and stuff. Now, I think you told me your boy is five months old. How what would t- tell us about life in the Coble household right now? Oh, man, it's a joy. And uh, I think the first three months it was like it was that I'm I'm un, un just incredibly tired and incredibly yes. happy at the same time. And now I think it, it shifted and it like we're just kind of happy. So um, that's been a really, really cool thing. And then my wife actually just started uh, her nursing career. So she's oh. at Rush uh, on a med surge floor. She started on Monday. And so we're we're uh, adjusting to new schedules and rhythms and stuff like that. That's a lot of new stuff, man. That is a lot. What is it like for her nursing in the midst of COVID, starting all of this? What's it been like for her? Well, she she just finished her master's in nursing at Rush uh, previously, and she was she was a nursing assistant there as well. So it's it's strange. It's a weird mm-hmm. time, and a lot of people don't understand like the the way hospitals work and. Uh, even what happens with COVID and, and what happens when overflow rooms, uh, or overflow floors take on COVID patients and, um, but she's handling it really, really, really well. That's great. Well, you know, you guys should add some more new stuff into your life. We got a kid. We got a church. We got nursing, uh, all sorts of new stuff. Uh, what was it? I remember parenting. Our oldest child was born now 18 years ago, but in November. And so I remember that first Christmas being like the most magical thing. You always dream of having a kid at Christmas. What was Christmas time like for you guys with a new baby? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Now, I I do have to say that my wife got COVID a few days before oh, no. Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, or I should say a week before Christmas. And we were uh, supposed to go to Jamaica. And so I had to mourn the loss of that trip. Um, <laughs> but but at the same. So I, I don't know if I was fully in that magical space. Right? <laughs> I can understand. Yeah, uh, that's really hard. Is that is that something you guys could do again in the future? Is that like uh, you, you could just kind of postpone it or is that yeah. just straight cancel? That, that's that's uh, they won't give me my money back, but they'll let me come back. 
Good for you. Good for you. Well, that does sound wonderful this time of year right now. All right. So we're going to jump into something here. But before I do, I thought of you the other day, and I'm going to just bring up pain. You are one of the few Indianapolis Colts fans I know, and your team laid about as big an egg at the most important time of year on Sunday. Uh, did you throw stuff at your television? Did you rip stuff at the wall? Did you... Uh, uh, what 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 did you do as your Colts went and as fourteen point favorites lost to Jacksonville and therefore missed the playoffs? That had to be rough. I mean, it, it was so. I had a, a meeting after church on Sunday, and so I was, just, <laughs> I was just, you know, first thing I did when I got home from that meeting was turn on the game, and I looked at it. I think it was twenty three to six at the time, and I was like, "Am, am I reading this wrong?" Is it <laughs> Because all week long, all the sports reporters were saying, like, yeah, Indianapolis is going to is gonna win that for sure. For sure. You know, after they, they lost to the Raiders. So, it, and, and, and a lot of people were saying, like, Indianapolis is like the team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs. So That's right. You know, and it, it kind of just brought back to mind, like, man, we needed Carson Wentz to help. There's going to be a time when we need the quarterback to help us win a game. And he just didn't help us win a game. And yeah. I know that everybody didn't show up, but – They've been showing up all year, and it was time for the QB to put the game on his back, and it didn't happen. Felt like you got the full Carson Wentz experience for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, so again, Steve is a pastor of Renewal Church of Chicago. You can learn more uh, about Steve and the church at RenewalChicago.com. Today, Steve, is a big day uh, today uh, in the city of Chicago as the public schools reopened, if you will. There's been this huge kind of back and forth between the teachers union and the public schools. Students have not been in school, uh, but the teachers union kind of cleared a way for classes to resume today. So we're happy to see kids go back to school. I'm kind of removed from it. I live out here in the suburbs. My kids have been in school this whole time, mm -hmm. uh, this whole year. Uh, how I know you don't have a kid in school, but many people in your church probably do. What's it been like in the city? What has the conversation been like? How have you been helping people in your church kind of navigate this? Yeah, I, th I think it's it's really um, it's really difficult because on on one end, um, you know, you got single moms that have to go to work and then they have to pivot to find uh, childcare or they have to pivot to get grandma involved or they have to figure out what to do with their kids. Mm -hmm. And still try to make a living and and uh, be able to pay the rent at the end of the month. And then at the same time, you know, it seems like schools are like breeding grounds for uh, the spread of, of COVID. And I think a lot of people are just kind of like over it at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah. man, if you haven't been vaccinated by now, like that's on you. And um, but let's let's uh, live life. And so it's it's convoluted. It's complex. Yeah. Are people and, mad? Were, were like uh, your friends with kids, were they mad? Were they understanding? Are they just frustrated? What's kind of the general I, feel? I think apparently? people are tired is mm. probably the best way to put it. It's just like coming back to then helping uh, their children do at home school um, is just it's wearisome. And, yeah. you, you know, if you're not a skilled teacher or, or even if you're trying to you're trying to uh, juggle a couple of things it, it just it's really frustrating 
Yeah, it's uh, my one hope in this. I have kids. I have a high schooler and two middle schoolers. And my my whole hope through this has been like, okay, it feels like things are kind of, you know, percolating right now. But just stay in school. Like, let's just keep school open. I saw we're going to talk about COVID and the church here in a little bit later on in the show. But I, I heard somebody I thought this was the best description about this whole Omicron thing and how everybody seems to be getting it right now. They likened it to when you're in junior high and it was gym class dodgeball and you were the last kid standing at the back <laughs> and the, you're just doing all you can to avoid uh, the balls that are flying at you. That's what it feels like right now. So glad. Hopefully this is for the rest of the year. Hopefully the Chicago schools are able to yeah. stay open. Uh, and like you said, it kind of that normalcy and kids just need to be in school. And so out here in the suburbs, uh, we're hoping for that and certainly in the Chicago schools. So we're glad to have Steve Koble with us today. Again, Steve is the pastor of teaching discipleship and spiritual for- formation at Renewal Church of Chicago. And he is always kind enough to stay uh, with us when Aubrey's not here or when I'm not here. Well, coming up next, we're going to put on our pastor hats and we're going to talk about something that's very difficult to talk about in the church often, and that is money. How do we as Christians view money? And specifically, what does it even mean when we say all of our money belongs to God? Steve and I are going to talk about money next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside my guest co-host today, Steve Koble. my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Steve is the pastor of teaching discipleship and spiritual formation at Renewal Church of Chicago. You can learn more about Steve and his church at RenewalChicago.com. Steve, for people who don't know you, maybe didn't listen last time you were on, tell us a little bit about Renewal Church of of Chicago. Where is it? Kind of what's kind of the flavor of the church? Yeah, we're a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, disciple-making church. And we're just a, probably a stone's throw away from the United Center, just on the kind of near west side. And um, man, it's 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 a church that, I, as a pastor, I'd be like, man, I I want to go to that church. So awesome. I'm biased. And uh, if I was a regular person in Chicago, I think I would go to that church. So that's cool. I've said that to people often, like when they say, "What's your church like? What's this?" And I said, my only goal. Uh, is that I want to have a church that I want to go to and my kids want to go to. Yeah, and I think yeah. if that's the case, where are you guys located in case people do want to check you out? Yeah, so so we're right at um, Randolph and Damon, uh, just a stone's throw away from um, from the United Center and Rush Hospital, if you're familiar with Rush, Ho- yep, Rush Hospital, yep. and just off the highway there. Awesome. Okay, so go check them out at Renewal. Chicago.com. That's renewalchicago.com. Uh, All right, Steve, Tim Keller. I'm a huge fan of Tim Keller. I'm sure you're a fan of Tim Keller. He's a prolific writer, speaker. Um, just a, he, He's got a lot of wisdom. Tim Keller started uh, Redeemer Church in New York City, and he's no longer there. He has since retired, but there's a bunch of them. Like It's a very uh, influential church mm-hmm. in New York City. And so Tim Keller went to Twitter and uh, said something about money. Before I read it, do you... So I always find, Steve, that pastors either like preaching about money or hate preaching about money. And we always say, you know, Jesus spoke a lot about money, so we have to. It's a very... I don't know any pastors who don't think it's important, but do you enjoy talking to your congregation about money or or do you not enjoy it? I don't enjoy it at all. 
You um, don't. But I feel the the need to teach about it well and rightly. Yes. Yes. You don't like it because it's uncomfortable for people or it's just kind of uh, why don't you enjoy it? Well, I, I think that people expect you to talk about uh, to pastor them in every area of their lives except for their money. That's true. <laughs> yes. Well, you expect me to ask you questions about, you know, how's dating life? How's married life? How, how are the kids? What's your, you know, how's your time with Jesus? But then when I talk about how, do you, how you're stewarding your finances, that feels like very, a very personal thing. That is that is well put. So uh, Tim Keller wrote this on Twitter. I'm going to read it, and then I would love for you to respond. Tim Keller, he wrote this. Number one, pure capitalism says all your money belongs to you. Number two, pure Marxism says all your money belongs to the th- to the state. But number three, Christianity says all your money belongs to God, First Chronicles 29, and that we should be radically generous with it as Jesus was with his riches, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So he's saying, here's pure capitalism, here's pure Marxism, here's what Christianity says. Uh, Steve, if you were preaching a message about trying to help people understand the value of radical generosity uh, what would you say to them? How would you talk about generosity and the opportunity that that is for people? Well, w- one of the things that I, that I don't think that people realize is that just as Jesus was um, our savior and and the one who sort of uh, set the the roadmap for how to do Christianity, mm-hmm. there are certain things that Jesus taught that are just generally true. Like Jesus said, it is better to give than to receive. And there's something that that does to the human heart um, as you're cultivating generosity in your heart that like is like, yeah, that's 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 good. That's that's important that not only is it important, but it feels good. It brings joy to my heart. Mm. Um, And not not only does it bring joy to my heart, but Jesus said in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so generosity allows us to be able to say to our hearts, God has my heart, the things that God has given me or or the things that I have don't have my heart. And Mm -hmm. that's just a freeing feeling. That's a good feeling. And and I think it brings joy to life in general. Yeah. I mean, for people out there who may not realize that the Bible has a ton to talk about money, and it's always in terms of the opportunity you have to be generous with other Mm -hmm. people, the opportunity you have. It's never a burden. It's never spoken of as a burden. But I know in my own life, Steve, I I will like the idea of giving money away of like not, you know, I got bills to pay. I got things to do. And so it's difficult uh, so somebody in your congregation comes to you and says, all right, pastor, I, I understand what you're saying. Great message, generosity, opportunity. I also, uh, I got a mortgage, I got bills, I got all of this stuff to help me understand how do I even go down the path of generosity? Even if I don't have much money, I want to experience this joy. What would you tell somebody in your congregation? Here's step one. Here's maybe step one and two to growing as a generous person. Step one, do a budget. Ah, go open, uh, unpack that for me. Yeah, unpack yeah. That. If you're not able to, uh, to know where your dollars are going, or if you don't know where your dollars are going at the end of it, you're always going to uh, find yourself with less dollars. Mm. 
That's right. And, and you're always going to have the temptation of, you know, the, the, you know, whether you're on social media or, or Facebook or whatever, you're constantly getting stuff thrown at you. Like, man, here's where the good life is. Here's, mm-hmm. here's like, if you just get a Lincoln aviator, like Matthew McConaughey, like then like, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And so like, you've got the culture and, and marketing experts throwing stuff at you and you end up, you know, buying too much stuff on Amazon every month, regardless of whether or not you got bills to pay in a mortgage. And so I would just encourage somebody to, um, you know, my wife and I use mint, I, you know, I, I think it's part of like the tax turbo QuickBooks and all of that stuff. That's right. Uh, thing. And I, I think that that's the first place to start. And then I also think that when you think about giving, I, I do think that the local church and investing into the kingdom of God through the local church is the first place that you do that. I think that there's a lot of people doing a lot of awesome things, but those ministries and those things are still considered parachurch ministries. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. coming alongside the church. And so um, I think you, you got to think about investing your, your money into, into the local church first and foremost. And if you've got that budget figured out, then you can uh, you can make kind of offerings and, and gifts to people and you can do it freely if you've got a budget. But if you don't, <sighs> it's going to be really hard to to, you know, here's you might say, here's twenty five bucks. Here's twenty dollars to this here's twenty dollars to that. That's a wonderfully practical first step. Right. Because uh, so my wife and I, we use use mint. We use what's called every dollar. It's a it's an app. I think it's through Dave Ramsey stuff. And it's really good. It's really helpful. It's an app. It's on my phone. It's free. Uh, but you're right. The, the concept of do you even know where your money is going because once you know where it is, you can start going, okay, I'm going to grow in general. Because then for me, step two is like the old movie, What About Bob? It's just take baby steps, right? If you're mm-hmm. giving 0% of your money away right now, uh, the the goal shouldn't be in the next month to give away 20% of your money. Yeah, yeah. The goal is maybe 1% or 2% and see if the biblical promises of joy and contentment are true. Let, let's let's. Let's go ahead. Let's give it a try. Uh, man, that's really good. That's good stuff. Budget. If you're out there and you don't have any sort of idea where your money's going, uh, that's your first step. And if you need help, go find somebody who's good with finances in your church or maybe a financial planner or whatever else. Uh, but Tim Keller's words again, Christianity says all your money belongs to God and we should be radically generous with it as Jesus was with his riches. A good word as we move into uh, 2022. Well, again, Steve and I are both pastors. When we come back, we're going to talk about COVID and Omicron and the church. What are we seeing in our churches? What's coming down the pike here? What's going on in our neighborhoods, our schools, and our churches? We're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. Steve is sitting in for Aubrey today. All right, Steve, we mentioned this earlier, but people may not know this. COVID is still around. <laughs> COVID is still going on. Uh, you said COVID visited your home uh, a little bit before Christmas time. How scary was that for you with a newborn, with a baby? Uh, what did you guys have to do? Because you said your wife had COVID. I don't know if you got it. What'd you guys have to do with a baby in the house? It was, it was a little nerve wracking. Um, and like I said, we were, we were supposed to go to Jamaica. So we had to pivot on that. And then um, we were just trying to make sure that the baby didn't get COVID. 
So my yeah. wife kind of wore a mask in the house um, pretty much all the time. And we, we actually slept in, um, she slept in our uh, basement bedroom and I slept in the regular bedroom and I, I pretty much had to take care of the baby yeah. for most of the time. Um, she still did a number of other things and uh, we just waited it out. This was right before they changed the, the days down from uh, 10 oh, to sure, 5. Sure, sure. And so we, we were just kind of waiting it out. I got tested one time. We took the baby into the, to the doctor to get tested. And so it was nerve wracking to, to, to wonder whether or not the baby was going to get it. But I, I think he was getting antibodies from my wife's breast milk. So we ended up, we ended up all right on the other side of it. And and there was like the nerve wrackingness of like, what if, what if this couple of bad days gets worse, you know? Um, and she, she started to get better after uh, two or three days. So good. Uh, and so uh, we are both pastors and you and I were talking off air that it felt like before Christmas, uh, churches were kind of uh, like the momentum was coming back. Things were starting to feel normal again. Things were kind of moving. And then it sounds like it's interesting. Sounds like your experience, my experience. Aubrey said it yesterday. Her experience uh, was that these last two weeks to start the new year, things have kind of just deflated again because of COVID. Things that people have gotten it or people are scared or people or whatever. Tell us about what's going on in your church. What's it been like since Omicron has kind of reared its head here? <laughs> yeah, we, you know, I, I was, I was out from church for a couple of Sundays because of my wife having it and yeah. having to pivot. So we had to uh, kind of do more strip down. We, we've had to kind of say, Hey, we're, we're just going to do one person on the praise team as, as opposed to a full praise uh, praise team to lead worship. And, uh, we were already doing masks, but we had to bring, or we've decided to bring back signups for services. Okay. Um, and we, we already had a 9am and 11am and, and a a good number of people were still online. So that 9am service is not as packed as the 11. So we, we will probably suggest that people think about coming to the 9am. Um, so I think it was good that we already had two, uh, two services, but then, you know, uh, all, basically all of our staff ended up getting COVID. The executive assistant has it now. Um, but I mean, as everybody's vaccinated. So, um, I think the, the repercussions or the, the negative impact on people's health hasn't been as bad as it could have right. been. Right. It is weird. I, I, I saw that in our church where in a two week span, I think more people got COVID than in the two years prior, uh, collectively, mm-hmm. But everyone was okay. Like, uh, and I know that's not the case a hundred percent for people, but at our church it was, but it is certainly, uh, kind of, um, taken the wind out of the sails a little bit. Hopefully it's very short term, but let me ask you this over at the, at the Atlantic, there was a really fascinating article just the other day. It said this Omicron has created two new COVID attitudes and it unpacks that within vaccinated people. Uh, that what they're seeing, what, what doctors are seeing, what people are seeing is that there are now kind of two streams of vaccinated people. And one of them they called, uh, vaccine, uh, vax and done. So, mm-hmm. hey, I'm vaccinated. I'm going back to normal life. I understand this is out there, but I'm just done with this. Like, I, I'm not going to jump through all the hoops. This is why I got vaccinated. And the other one they said, the other stream is vaxed and cautious. 
listen, I'm vaccinated, but I'm still kind of I don't want to get this. I see that vaccinated people are getting sick. I'm kind of worried about it. Uh, and so I'm going to remain super cautious, even though uh, I'm vaccinated. Uh, Steve, let's start kind of big picture. I think they get this right. When I look at my own life of people, I think these are two really good descriptions. And because of this, I think even vaccinated people right now are having a hard time knowing how to relate to one another. What do you think of those two descriptions? I think they're spot on. I, I think they I think there's a group of people. I, I think I might have felt fallen into at least in my heart. Uh, <laughs> falling into the category of I'm vaxxed, let's get back to it. Let's get back to normal. Right. Um, and then obviously, you know, you know, people who are around people who are pretty vulnerable. And I started to see more, um, more people who were vaccinated, but had uh, underlying issues already get sick. Um, and so it, it kind of has, has made me sort of take a step back and wonder whether or not I need to be vaxxed and cautious in that same way. And then my, my wife, you know, she's, she's in healthcare. So she knows how things happen. If, if, um, if a hospital has too many COVID patients and then you have overflow into the med surge floor, then, you know, somebody who comes in say with a gunshot wound or somebody who comes in with a stroke, um, or, or any other thing that they need surgery for. Like if those beds are taken up because of COVID patients, mm. then it, it creates problems in other areas and we're overwhelming the, the medical, uh, the medical world, uh, and the hospital system. And so that's the big thing. I think that especially in Chicago, what we're trying to avoid is like overwhelming the, the medical system itself, burning out nurses, burning out doctors with stuff that could have been avoided. Um, and then, you know, I don't want to hear any stories of my my uh, dad went in with a heart attack and, you know, he didn't have a bed. Yep. Yep. It's it's hard. to. How are you pastoring through this right now? Like you've got these two streams of people and this doesn't even take into account the unvaccinated people. But uh, you've got the two streams of people going. I'm just tired of this pastor. Let's just go back to normal. Sure, I'll wear a mask, but. Can we just be done and let's just go back to life? And other people going, I'm not coming in. I'm going to watch online. I don't want like, how are you as a pastor uh, navigating COVID right now? Because I do think a lot of us thought we were a little bit done, like we were on the other end of it as past it, just culturally, but in leading our churches. So what's it look like for you as a pastor right now? <laughs> for, for me, Brian, I have been encouraging all pastors to uh, to make sure that they're in therapy. Ah, uh, good. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, just because I think that th this thing is a marathon. And, and I think that because we think that we can get there's going to come a time when we get on the other side of it, we, we just kind of put off the uh, personal care of that that we need for the longevity of ministry. And mm. I think of, you know, I think Tim Keller was on doing a Q&A for something. And he said, this is nothing. There's in the entirety of my ministry. I've never had to experience anything like this. Um, this is the most difficult season of pastoral ministry, um, at least in the last hundred years. Um, and so I'm like, man, if that's the case, then we need to make <laughs> sure that we're taking care of ourselves as pastors and leaders. Um, and then I, I think that, man, I'm just trying to be a person who acts in wisdom. Mm. So um, when, when you think about all the news outlets and all the, the different things that are uh, going on in terms of like the information that's being spread around um, not all of it is coming from people who are experts. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. like, I think generally speaking, 
we live in an age and John Mark Homer kind of put me onto this uh, of the death of expertise. Mm. And so I think that based on the wisdom that God has given me, that's incredibly unwise. So I can't do my, my YouTube, um, you know, rabbit hole dive without being able to say like, are these people actually experts? What what's the lion's share of expertise saying about this situation? Mm, that's good. And, um, and keeping in mind that the pandemic is just wearing on people. So yeah. people's mental and emotional health, you're hearing of people that are just regular people um, and stuff, something happens and, and tips them off and puts them over the edge. Um, people are on suicide watch um, that, you know, if, if we weren't in a pandemic and, and, right. and, you know, they weren't able to do some of the normal life stuff that they wouldn't be in that same place. And so, yeah. um, continuing to remind myself that community is important. Um, but safety and wisdom, um, is something that God has given me. And so not to get frantic and to keep putting my hands to the plow in whatever ways that God shows me we can. Yeah. And and keep showing grace to one another, right? You might look at COVID this way. I might look at it this way, but we're still a family. You brought up really important points of the mental health crisis going on around us, the opioid crisis going on around us, all of this stuff that kind of stems from uh, all the anxiety over COVID and everything we've lost and experienced. I think that's a great word for pastors and non-pastors. Now's a good time to go get some counseling. Now's a good time to go talk to somebody, uh, go out with a friend and kind of unpack this stuff. Well, coming up next, Steve and I are excited to be joined by Dr. Amanda Porter. She's a nurse practitioner, and she's also the author of a new book called Dear Anxiety, Let's Break Up. So many people struggling with anxiety right now. An important conversation we're going to have next with Dr. Amanda Porter here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Steve Koble. Steve is filling in for Aubrey as Aubrey is out this weekend. One of the things we talk about a lot here on The Common Good, especially during COVID, uh, that we're dealing with in our churches and in our lives is this idea of anxiety, this idea of stress. And, And so many people seem so anxious right now. And with that in mind, we're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Amanda Porter, Uh, Amanda is a nurse practitioner, and she's also just written a new book called Dear Anxiety, Let's Break Up. Amanda, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, it's absolutely our pleasure. And uh, let's just jump right in. As I said, Steve and I both in our own lives, but also in our churches, we're just seeing a lot of anxiety out there right now. So uh, with that in mind, why don't you tell us a little bit about your book? Why did you write this book and who do you have in mind for this book? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to. Thanks again for having me on. I think, you know, I had a couple, a couple different goals with writing this book. Um, one of them being that I wanted to, to talk about and be vulnerable about what it's been like for me personally as a mental health clinician who is also living with an anxiety disorder. You know, I'm kind of living at this intersection of faith and mental health. And then I have a very personal experience um, with anxiety myself. I think I also, with this book, wanted to speak to the tension that Christians in particular feel when they're dealing with a mental health issue. I think there's a lot of um, toxic theology out there that insinuates that, you know, anxiety is sin. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is sinful. I think a lot of um, mental health issues 
can be over spiritualized. Um, you know, a lot of people who maybe turn to their faith community for help with their mental health issues are met with advice like, Oh, why don't you just pray more or believe more or have more faith? And I think, you know, while those things are true and can be helpful, um, if that's the only solution that we offer to our Christian brothers and sisters, that ultimately just leads to a lot of guilt and shame and blame when there are a lot of much more effective ways to help somebody kind of grapple with their anxiety. Yeah. Amanda, can you talk a little bit about, you know, I, I've got so many people who are struggling with anxiety in, in my congregation. And then also, um, I think the millennial generation has a little bit more of an open mind when it comes to mm. getting therapy and uh, kind of going to some level of medical route. Um, but can you just help us understand, like, h- how a person can determine, all right, this is not just I get anxiety from time to time, but I have an anxiety disorder. Sure, sure. Yeah. And so this is something that I I really want to stress. A certain amount, a certain degree of anxiety is completely normative. You know, this is the way God wired us up. He created us, he instilled in us this stress response, the whole fight or flight thing, right? That is originally meant to be a life-saving tool. We're all built with this. So a certain amount of anxiety is normative, but you know, there comes a time when a line is crossed and a person's anxiety um, just becomes so overwhelming that that person is completely incapacitated. You know, their their daily functioning is really affected. Maybe they are not able to hold down a job. Maybe their relationships are suffering. Maybe their self-care has really taken a dive. And these are the things that I kind of look for when I'm working with someone um, to help them understand the, the toll and the impact that their anxiety is having on their life and their ability to function. Yeah. And, and, uh, why would you say it's important? You say this in the book to shift our goal from finding a cure and having no anxiety to instead, uh, I think you say pursuing healing and a closer relationship. Could you unpack that and why that's an important thing for us? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, it's really critical if you, if you're starting this journey of, of healing, um, and achieving mental wellness, it's really critical that your expectations are appropriate. If you're expecting that your anxiety will be cured, then you will be disappointed. Um, you know, anxiety and, and all mental health issues are chronic for the majority of the people that I work with, and I believe will be chronic for myself. Um, the goal of getting treatment for anxiety is is not eradication. That's not a realistic goal, but rather mm. the goal should be manageability of the symptoms that come our way. You know, I, I think there's a very big difference between curing and healing. So curing is as if an illness never existed in the first place, right? You, you have, let's say an infection, you go, you get your treatment, the infection resolves and you don't deal with the fallout of that anymore. It's completely gone. It's eradicated. Um, it's not like that with anxiety. It's not like that with depression or bipolar or some other mental health illness. Um, but rather, I think the goal should be healing and healing is more so just kind of peace and acceptance of an outcome. Um, I think a person can say it is well with my soul, mm-hmm. even when all is not well in their life or in their body. Um, and that healing process certainly doesn't come easily. You know, you can't mm-hmm. have change and comfort at the same time. But I do think that healing is possible. Hey, Amanda, I'm, I'm thinking of just kind of like the typical process that a person would go through who's struggling with anxiety and their first approach would probably be, 
looking at Philippians chapter four and don't be anxious <laughs> about anything, but by prayer and supplication, present yeah. your request to God. And, and I, I think that sometimes people, you know, they, they're like memorizing that verse. I'm memorizing, I'm thinking about that verse, but then they, they start to feel even more shame yes. uh, or they start to feel even more anxious and then they start to feel shame. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious if, if you were, you know, talking to somebody in, in, in one of our congregations and they're just they're just starting the process and you, you've got this devotional that you've written. What what would you suggest to them as a first place to start? Right, right. I, I 100 percent guarantee you anyone who claims to be a Jesus follower who struggles with anxiety. I am sure that they have run across this verse, this passage in Philippians 4 where Paul encourages us to be anxious for nothing. It's just the poster child verse for anxiety, right? Um, it, you know, this is a difficult a difficult thing for me to tackle, but I, I really do feel like in this specific passage that Paul's words are, are not meant to be taken literally. Um, I think that this verse is kind of weaponized um, to cause a person who has an anxiety disorder to feel like they have some sort of moral failing. Um, which is not the case at all. I think that an anxiety-free life is something that God surely wishes for us. It's something worth striving for. But again, an anxiety-free life, uh, no anxiety at all, that's highly unrealistic Mm. um, because we are all born with this innate stress response system. Mm. That's good. And Amanda, as we close this out, let me, let me, uh, I, I have three kids uh, a lot of people listening have kids. How do, what are the warning signs in our children? How would we know if our kids are having an issue? And then what do you do as a parent if you are worried about your kids? Oh, that is a fantastic question because I, I see anxiety manifest in kids quite differently than adults. You know, kids, depending on the age, but depending on their maturity level, they don't always have the words to put around what they're experiencing. So anxiety in a kid tends to manifest as irritability rather than kind of an overt nervousness or anxiousness. So irritability is something that I see quite commonly. And also I see a lot of um, physical symptoms in kids. You know, they might have frequent headaches or they might have frequent stomach aches and they don't, they don't know what's causing it. All they know is that they're in pain. And so, you know, they're complaining of um, kind of these aches and pains. And I think that would be another big thing that a parent should watch for. Um, So the irritability and then some physical symptoms. And then I'd say if you're a parent who has a kid and you think that they might be dealing with anxiety, um, first step is get them to their pediatrician Mm. and, you know, get that expert medical opinion and see what the next steps should be. I think um, therapy is definitely warranted. I think I think every human being should see a therapist at some point in their life. I really do believe in the power of therapy. So you know, get it, get a therapist on your team, whether you're a kid or an adult, to help you kind of embark on that that journey for wellness. Yeah, thank you for that. Dr. Amanda Porter is the author of a new book called Dear Anxiety, Let's Break Up. I would encourage you to go pick that book up. You can also learn more about Amanda at amandaporternp.com. That's amandaporternp.com. And you connect with her on Instagram at amandaporternp. Again, that's at amandaporternp. Amanda, thanks so much. Such an important topic, such an important book. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. Yes, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Amanda. You're listening to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Steve Coble. My name is Brian Fromm. Steve's sitting in for Aubrey today. Steve, I found just a one of my favorite headlines of an article just the other day. This was at religionnews.com, at religionnews.com, written by Jana Reese. Uh, the title of the article is this, The I Hate Winter Spirituality Club. Let's just start there, Steve. What are your thoughts on Chicago winter? Right now, we're in the middle of January, early January. It's at its worst. What are your thoughts on winter? You know, it, it's funny that you asked me that after I was supposed to go to Jamaica at the end of December. <laughs> oh, um, it's painful. And and I had, that was like a that was like a preemptive plan um, that I was trying to make it pal- make the wintertime palatable to me. Yes. And um, and so we didn't get to go. And then January hits and it's, you know, zero degrees outside. And I'm like, man, this is about to wear on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, wife just started a new job, all of that uh, kind of stuff. And so honestly, the beginning of winter, I'm fine with. I'm like the season changes, snow on the ground, all of that. Uh, you know, used to get out your, some of your cool layered clothes and um, and go about your day. And and I enjoy the hot drinks and all of that stuff. It's just about February. It just starts to wear on you. Yes, there's no doubt about it. like this time from right now until the end of February is uh, what my wife and I like to say is that time where we look at each other and go, what are we doing? Yeah, <laughs> what yeah, are, yeah. We, where we all question our life choices. Like I understand Chicago. There's no better place to be in May and yeah. April. Like it's as good. But man, these times where you go outside and your face hurts or you're so icy, you can't walk around. Uh, Jamaica does sound nice this time. Though. Jamaica <laughs> does uh, sound wonderful. Uh, but I ask that because Jana Reese writes about uh, some of the spiritual connections we can make uh, to the cold and to winter. Uh, and she talks about this book called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times, in which author Catherine May admits to experiencing some of the fear and loneliness many of us associate with winter. That winter is a bit of a metaphor for what's going on in some of our souls where we have fear mm-hmm. and loneliness. Because I mean, what's it like in the city in the winter where you live? Because I know where I live. I'll go four months without seeing any neighbors. Like in the summertime, we're all mowing our lawn. We're waving. We're talking outside. Wintertime, we all just kind of cocoon. And that can really lead to loneliness and fear. Is that what it's like where you guys live as well? It's a little different. I I would say, you know, I see my neighbors less, but I still see them just because they're they're right. They're super close to me or we got to get out and shovel the snow uh, by a particular time and um, stuff like that. Or somebody's walking a dog, you know, stuff like that. But um, it is I do see them much less. Yeah. So uh, what's the here? Let's let's uh, you're you're writing a sermon and you're going to use the Chicago winter as as kind of a metaphor (laughs) for for our spiritual lives or the struggles that many of us have. Let me put you on the spot because you are a skilled sermon writer. You're a skilled speaker. How would you how would you use the Chicago winters as a metaphor uh, for what many of us deal with and the struggles that many of us have? Yeah, I I think that. You know, when you first asked me that question or when we first talked about talking about this uh, particular topic, the first thing that came to my mind was the rhythms of uh, of life in general. And um, I I have to it harkens me back to like pre-electricity 
Mm. And I'm thinking of like agricultural society and what people did back in the day when uh, we weren't so busy and um, and what what happens when you're forced to, you know, the, the sun goes down at 430 in Chicago and um, and you're forced to kind of slow down and <laughs> to yes. just just be. And I think one of the things that's scary, especially for Chicago people, Chicago land people in general is that we're busy people. We're mm-hmm. people who do a lot. We're people who uh, have challenging jobs and um, who who take great, um, you know, we're 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 proud of how um, how much we work. Mm. And I think the rhythm that God has instilled in seasons is is a rhythm of uh, of rest. And I think that the winter actually calls us to that. Um, it calls us to um, early bedtimes and it calls us to spend time with our families uh, more. And it calls calls us to introspection and, and contemplation. And I think for a lot of people who are usually super busy, that's really hard because you have to like sit with your actual emotions yeah. and you yeah. have to sit and be with, with how you feel and what you feel. And for some of us who stay super busy. That's scary to us. Hmm. Um, uh, I think Henry Nowen said that sometimes we use good work, busy, uh, like good busyness uh, as a means to distract us from what we actually feel. So true. Um, so true. And so, yeah, I think in Chicago, we can use work as a distraction um, from, from being able to do some of the hard work that God wants us to do. Something you highlighted there. I actually said this to my wife the other day. I forgot that when it's really cold out. So it was the other day when it was icy out and cold and me and my wife and my three kids were just at home. Like we're playing games or watching a movie or whatever. And I said to Carrie, my wife, I just said, I forgot how in the wintertime there's just much less to do. Like you're not going to go outside. Like it wasn't one of those days where there's beautiful snow and you could go play. And so it was like, we're not doing anything. We're going to stay in the house and uh, I, I I appreciate what you said. Like it's a call to slow down. It's a call to, um, you know, maybe have a little bit more. I'll use this word bleakness that winter has for us. I, I want to read how she ends this article because I, I really do think it, it gives a good perspective. She said, "We have a choice. We can kick against winter, or we can learn what winter has to teach." Mm. Uh, the author wisely chooses the latter. What she learned to do is this. She writes, I recognized winter. I saw it coming a mile off and I looked it in the eye. I greeted it and I let it in. I had some tricks up my sleeve. You see, I've learned them the hard way. When I started feeling the drag of winter, I began to treat myself like a favored child with kindness and love. I assumed my needs were reasonable and that my feelings were signals of something important. I kept myself well fed and made sure I was getting enough sleep. I took myself for walks in the fresh air. And spend time doing things that soothed me. I asked myself, what is this winter all about? What change is coming? So that's what I'm going to try to do differently this year year, as the bleakness of winter sets in. Interestingly, this author lives in Chicago. (laughs) So (laughs) that's why I thought it was helpful. And I think it's helpful for all of you out there. Uh, Winter is here. We're in the middle of it. And it's a difficult season. What can we learn from that spiritually? What can we learn about God, about rest? 
don't waste this winter uh, as a lot of us are stuck inside and struggling with it. Well, coming up next, we're going to end the show this way. I want to listen to some words from Pastor Francis Chan on unity in the church. And then Steve and I are going to discuss it as we close the show here on this Wednesday afternoon. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside my guest co-host today, Steve Coble. my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Steve and I are both pastors. Uh, it's kind of the bent we take on our discussions in the show. And uh, every now and then, I like to play for you all out there, pastors who I respect, authors who I respect, and, and to be challenged, to be encouraged, especially as we close out the show. Uh, and one of those authors and pastors is a guy by the name of Francis Chan. Many of you have probably heard of Francis Chan. Used to be the pastor of a really big church out in California. Now he leads a house church movement, planting churches in Northern California. Uh, prolific writer. And uh, Steve, as we discussed off air, he's nothing if not passionate. <laughs> so uh, Francis Chan has been writing and speaking recently about the concept of church unity. Uh, And I wanted to hear what he had to say, a clip of what he had to say. And then, Steve, as we close out the show, I'd love for you and I to just discuss what does church unity look like. So let's listen to Francis Chan here. The people who call themselves the followers of Jesus Christ are currently the most divided faith group on earth. I mean, think about it. Can you name another another religion that, that even has more than two or three factions? Meanwhile, we've split ourselves into denominations that don't get along, and those denominations have churches that don't even get along, and those churches themselves keep on splitting and dividing. And now we've got individuals creating their own websites and their own followings, claiming that they're the only ones who get it. And, and what's crazy and terrible about this is that Jesus Christ himself prayed that we would become perfectly one. Just like the Father and Son are perfectly one, he says, that's the way I want my followers to be, so that the world will believe that I was sent from the Father. He says, our believability is going to be based upon our unity Meanwhile, the world looks on and all they see is chaos. All they see are these arguments and these factions. And and it seems like we don't care. I mean, how do we not care that God himself, the creator, holy God in heaven, says, I want you to be one. My son died. He shed his blood so you could be perfectly one. And I can put all things under him. He died so I could be one with God and one with all of those who say they trust in the blood of Jesus for their salvation. You guys, this is not just a good idea. It's not just, oh, let's all get along. This is sacred. And as we fight for truth and we fight for holiness, we also fight for the unity of the faith. All right, again, full of passion, but highlighting the point that in John 17, Jesus prays that his church would be unified. And what Chan points out is a bit of the obvious is that our church, our evangelical church, you got denominations, you've got churches that can't get along under denominations, so denominations can't get along, churches can't get along, and then individuals within the church unable 
to get along. And Chan pointing out, this is not what Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed that we would be unified, that there would be unity, and that there might actually now be more disunity than there's ever been. Steve, within the church and and then maybe within evangelical churches, say in your context, in the Chicagoland area, in Chicago itself, what is the importance of unity? And then how do we grow in unity of believers, even if we're at different churches and in different denominations? Yeah. One of the organizations that I work for is called the Chicago Partnership. um, And we actually work closely with Redeemer City to City to help plant churches here in Chicago. And one of the things that we feel like is super important is just, uh, especially in this time, is is to be uh, connected to one another and to be uh, to literally partner with one another. And I, I think that, you know, all of that is based on central sort of uh, Orthodox Christian mm-hmm. values and, and doctrine. Um, but I, I think that one of the things that we can do is just to to have conversations with each other. Uh, to believe the best about each other mm. and to uh, allow ourselves to like be in relationship with people that we don't agree with. Yeah. What is unity? That's awesome. And I'm, I'm excited about that organization. What does unity look like within your specific local church? Cause we, we both part, we both pastor in churches. And as we know, churches are made up of people and we live in a time with social media and politics and everything where people are generally divided. They're divided mm-hmm. about politics. They're divided mm-hmm. about COVID. They see arguments going on online. Let's boil this down to literally Renewal Church of Chicago and Four Corners Community Church, where I am. Uh, how do you foster unity within your specific local church? And what do you say to your church about the importance of it? So I, I think, you know, to what what Tim Keller in our earlier conversation had had to talk about what uh Capitalism says this. Marxism says this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus says this. Um, and I think that we want to call people back to what Jesus said. I think in this particular um, season of American history, there there is such a, a polarization. And and th- that polarization isn't based on Jesus's teachings. Mm-hmm. And so um, whether that's like a Christian nationalism or or whether that's. Um, you know, on the progressive side of like, we're doing what's best for our neighbors and you guys don't want to do that. So we, we look down upon you in self-righteousness. Like those things aren't Christian values. And we have to remind ourselves of that. One of the things that I think is vitally important too, is that in like, there's American cultural values that are being raised up over Christian values. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're in a, a hyper individualized uh, society. And so even when you when you look at um, the different things that people are being uh, called to do, it's like you're not going to tell me what to do mm-hmm. to, to the individual. Right. Yeah. And yet one of the things that I, I feel like the, the necessary thing to tell the Christian is when you look at Philippians chapter two, Jesus was completely equal with God, mm-hmm. but did not count equality with God, something to be snatched at. So Jesus's M.O., was to lay down his rights for the benefit of others. And so that has to be our characterization as well as followers of his, is that we're we're not people who hold up our rights and say, mm-hmm. these are my rights. 
we're actually characterized as people who lay down our rights for the benefit of others. And so that means compassion towards other people. That means charity and conversation. That means uh, that means genuine love. And if that's not our way, then something's wrong. And and so um, I want to encourage conversation and not just like online conversation. I want to I want to encourage phone call conversation and and I want to encourage uh, gaining an understanding and being quick to listen uh, to people and slow to speak and slow to become angry. It just seems like anger is like the thing that we rush to as as if it's a virtue right now. Yeah, yeah. And what's amazing is if we can get this right, not even get it right, but if our churches can just display this a little bit more this year and and grow in this, we talked earlier about about the example we set for people who are watching us and who are looking in this year, in this uh, culture of disunity, in this culture of, like you said, polarization and fragmentation, a unified church is such an enormous uh, megaphone to a world out there. People are looking for people they can be unified with and yeah. people they can be in relationship with. I would say the unity of the church uh, has never been more important than it is now, but it's going to take work. It can start in the individual local church, move into networks like you're discussing, Steve, across the Chicagoland and, and keep ballooning. And people are going to be attracted to that. So grateful for this. You could Google uh, Francis Chan on uh, on unity and, and find kind of the, the longer talk he gives here. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you uh, as we look to make a difference in this world. Well, Steve, I'm glad that you joined me today and you're coming back. You're coming back for more. Uh, I look forward tomorrow to making fun of the Indianapolis Colts some more. It's going to be a good time. So, hey, man, uh, as long as I can make fun of the New York Giants, uh, I mean that is not a high uh, that is not a high bar right now. That is an, that is easy pickings right now. Uh, so, Steve's going to join us again on Thursday and Friday. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the show today, and you join us again tomorrow for Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great night. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.